Hello and welcome to In Conversation With, a podcast from The Lancet. It's December 2021 and I'm Vanya Wisdom. This month I'm delighted to be joined by Professor James, who is the team leader of the Prostate and Bladder Cancer Research Group at the Institute of Cancer Research UK. Professor Nick James is also the chief investigator of the Stampede platform. Good morning. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Stampede aims to provide evidence as to what is the best way of treating men with newly diagnosed advanced prostate cancer. The report that The Lancet has just published focuses on two phase three trials that studied the systematic treatment that improved metastasis-free survival and overall survival of men with non-metastatic high-risk prostate cancer. Both trials were conducted in the Stampede protocol and their results support the change of practice in the treatment of prostate cancer. So Stampede has probably been one of the most influential trials in prostate cancer over the past uh, 10 years. And um, I think yeah, it has um, an unusual structure or format. And as we've been seeing a lot of data coming from this trial and the publication we have, it's just the latest, but other uh, previous reports have been already, uh, already out. Could you give us a bit of a context of uh, what exactly is uh, Stampede? So yes, Stampede is uh, started out as a single trial with five arms in it, and it's gradually evolved uh, in that once we'd started the trial, we realised we could add new arms to it. So it's evolved more from being a single trial into, it's probably best thought of as a collection of trials running on a common platform. So we've, we've got a bit of a sort of mixture of terminology. The, uh, the background to this particular analysis was that earlier data with docetaxel showed there was a very big survival advantage in metastatic patients, but the survival benefit in non-metastatic patients was less clear. And actually, when we did a, 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 an extended follow-up on the non-metastatic docetaxel data, there wasn't any concrete evidence of a survival advantage. So when we came to look at the longer-term follow-up with the abiraterone patients, we, um, we were worried that in the M0 part of the abiraterone trial, we may have the same thing. We might not have enough power to see a survival advantage, even if there was indeed a survival advantage. So what we decided to do with this particular analysis was we, we have two abiraterone arms. We have abiraterone on its own, and then we subsequently added a combination of abiraterone and enzalutamide, the hypothesis being that enzalutamide would block some of the, if you like, escape mechanisms that the cancer cells use to get around abiraterone. And We've yet to do the metastatic part of the abiraterone enzalutamide comparison, but we have done the metastatic part of the, and did the combined analysis of the abiraterone only arm. So that shows a big survival advantage. So when we came to look at the M0 data, we thought we would split the ABI-ENZA part of the trial into M1 and M0, and then combine the M0 patients with the abiraterone only M0. So we're doing, um, in a sense, a meta-analysis of two comparisons from within Stampede, treating them as separate trials. There's no overlap between the recruitment of these two trials, so they have separate control patients. So it's a, it's a slightly complicated way of getting to the analysis that we presented. Right, thank you. So, as compared to what you, it used to be uh, standard practice, what do we need to do differently now? 
actually, with the pooled analysis, we, we also we did a second change. Was we changed the primary outcome measure from overall survival to metastasis-free survival. So this is a combination of time to distant metastasis or time to death from any cause. The reason we did this was that uh, analysis carried out from the ICECAP uh, consortium led by Chris Sweeney showed that metastasis-free survival, MFS, was a good surrogate for overall survival. And by using that as an endpoint, we increased the number of events and therefore the statistical power for this analysis. So we've done two changes to try and maximise our chances of seeing whether there's a real benefit in M0 patients. One of them is we've pulled two separate sets of abrachrone data, and the second is we've changed to a slightly earlier endpoint, MFS, rather than OS. So when we looked at the pooled analysis with MFS as the primary outcome, what we saw was a very, very clear benefit for the combination therapy over ADT only. And a couple of key features to this. The first is that in this part of the trial, therapy was limited to two years in those patients who had radiotherapy as part of their base therapy. So essentially, for the majority of patients in the trial, pretty much 100% of the node negative and over two thirds of the node positive patients, they only had two years of therapy. And uh, the effect on MFS was was dramatic. We roughly halved the risk of, of metastasis or death during the follow-up period. When we went to split that up by the abrachrone-only patients and the abrachrone plus enzalutamide patients, essentially the effect was the same in both groups. So when we looked at all of the other endpoints, the effect was likewise very similar. So when we looked at prostate cancer-specific survival, overall survival, progression-free survival, i.e. progression from any cause, not, not just metastasis, all of the effects were very consistent, we roughly halved the risk of whatever the endpoint was we looked at by adding abrachrone with or without enzalutamide. Within this analysis, there was nothing to suggest that adding enzalutamide gave you better outcomes than adding abrachrone alone. So our overall conclusion is that you just need to add abrachrone for two years in this high-risk M0 setting to halve the risk of of all of the endpoints we looked at, survival, metastasis-free survival, progression-free survival, prostate cancer-specific survival, which is clearly a colossal effect. What's the access to this drug globally? Can you imagine this being uh, possible for uh, patients to benefit from this around the world? So it varies, is the answer. Uh, currently in the UK, abrachrone, the abrachrone marketing authorization um, is list, uh, restricted to men with high-risk uh, metastatic newly diagnosed uh, prostate cancer. So this is outside of the license, uh, the marketing authorization, which is the case in most jurisdictions. In practice in the UK and in other places, the, the restriction on access is driven not so much by the marketing authorization, but more by the price. So whilst abrachrone remains an on-patent drug in the UK, it's, uh, it's only going to be available to people with private health insurance or the means to purchase it privately. If you look elsewhere in the world where abrachrone is off-patent, uh, for example, in the United States, abrachrone is now a very cheap drug. And guidelines elsewhere in the world, like the NCCN guidelines, actually already recommend that using abrachrone beyond its marketing authorization down into the space that we've uh, just presented the data on. And it's, it's likely that as abrachrone comes off-patent elsewhere in the world, that it's useful readily extend into this population. So at the moment, you can't probably get it in the UK for most patients, but I suspect that will change quite quickly once 
it becomes generic and the price drops. I think the other important thing to say about this in terms of, of, of acquisition is to just to re-emphasise the fact that we only gave two years of therapy. So you get this halving of prostate cancer-related deaths, basically, um, with just two years of therapy. So it's a fixed price tag, which is different to the metastatic setting where you take it open-ended. And we, we've got patients on Abrashone in the metastatic part of the trial now for many years, which, which with obviously a correspondingly very large price tag. So it does raise the question that actually in all settings we maybe should be looking at a fixed duration of abiraterone because if we see the same benefits in M0 and in M1 but with a limited duration of therapy, it does rather suggest that you'd probably see the same benefits. Would that be the next step for Stampede in this, uh, in this group of patients? Probably not, because we've got other things we want to look at, and there's only a finite number of things we can look at. But I think it raises the broader question of whether we should be revisiting the intermittent versus continuous therapy trials, which were first carried out two, three decades ago, in the context of, of improving survival in all stages of advanced prostate cancer. Have you been looking at um, uh, quality of life alongside the clinical endpoints? So within this, the paper that you're just about to publish in The Lancet, we looked at toxicity and adding abirathrone adds some toxicity, but not a huge amount. And it's not different to the toxicity that we see in the metastatic setting, which is, of course, not very surprising. Adding entolutamide as well added a bit more toxicity on top. So given that it doesn't appear to add any benefit in this context, we wouldn't recommend a dual therapy. We've separately recently published quality of life data from a cohort of around 600 men from the early part of the Abrashron comparison. Now, this cohort is very interesting because these were recruited at the same time as the docetaxel patients. So this was uh, an analysis um, done by one of our excellent research fellows, Hannah Rush, as for her MD thesis. And so we were able to compare quality of life on Abrashron uh, plus ADT, ADT only, and ADT plus docetaxel. So there were two key findings from this. One was that for all time points, that we looked at pre-progression, quality of life was better on abiraterone plus ADT than it was on ADT only. So quality of life actually went up. Secondly, uh, for the first 40 weeks or so, quality of life was worse on docetaxel, which is not surprising. So if you're comparing abiraterone with docetaxel as a strategy for upfront treatment intensification, you get a very clear quality of life gain with abiraterone versus a quality of life loss with docetaxel. So the answer is yes, we have looked at quality of life and it's, it, it's, it's a, it's a favourable effect. So there's no quality of life penalty from taking the extra treatment. That's, uh, yeah, that's very good news because I guess that is as important as the clinical endpoints, isn't that, to, uh, to know how well the, the patients cope with the... The treatment. The other thing that, just to make the point about the quality of life data, is that there's a quality of life gain, even though there's a toxicity penalty. So the clinician assessed toxicity suggests more toxicity with the combination, but the patients report a quality of life gain. So a, a separate research interest of, of, of our group at the ICR is whether is what's the best way to measure toxicity. So if the patients are feeling better, but the clinicians are saying there's more toxicity, who's actually seeing the right view of the world? I suppose that's, again, I think we hear this often, we need to involve, have more involvement of patients in uh, designing the trials and, and hearing from them their own experience on yeah, how to measure these this outcomes. So, um, Dr. James, what do you think 
are the key learning points from Stampede in general and what has made it so successful as a, a platform? So I think when we started the trial, assessing multiple treatments seemed a good option just because we weren't quite sure which was the best to assess. But actually it turned out to be very popular with both patients and investigators because frankly nobody goes into a trial wanting the control arm. So if you've got multiple experimental arms, it's attractive as a patient, especially if you're facing a lethal disease, to have a chance of improving your outcomes. Similarly, it's actually attractive for clinicians because mostly you don't want to put patients in a trial and then just give them the treatment you could have given them with less hassle off trial. So it was popular with both. And then the adding arms to the platform was something that uh, I think added considerable novelty to Stampede. And I think we were the first large-scale trial to do this. And again, that was very popular with, with everybody because it meant that instead of having to finish one trial, grind through closing it, grind through opening a new one, you just amended the trial you already had. And that gave you a much better, a much faster setup and a much faster answer. So the abrasion part of the stampede trial, which was added after the original arms, closed out much faster because when we opened at the abrasion arm, we had more than 120 centres already open. So we, bang, you're suddenly recruiting very quickly. And we've repeated that trick um, five more times now. Um, and each time it's worked really well. We have now got to the, the problem that this trial is simply so huge that the regulatory burden of keeping up with 11 different comparisons is actually quite burdensome. So we are now planning to draw a line under it and start our new comparisons with a new platform that, that allows us to learn from what we've done so far. But in principle, we think adding arms to a platform is a much, much better way of asking new questions and setting up a new trial every time. And I think this is illustrated very nicely by the UK recovery trial with COVID, which essentially used the stampede methodology and similarly delivered very fast answers to a whole range of questions. And yeah, it's been a very striking feature of the UK COVID response, some of which you could say was not very good. But I think the biomedical stuff, both the vaccines and trials like recovery were absolutely world leading. Absolutely. No, I think there will be many other, you know, the, the, the lessons from the trial as a, the, the design in, and the format will be certainly be uh, helpful in other areas of cancer and even outside cancer probably. So thanks so much for joining us today. It was um, uh, nice to, to hear all these um, uh, key findings and uh, all the best, all the success for the, yeah, the, the, the future of the stampede. Thanks so much, Dr. James. Thank you very much indeed. You can read Professor James' research online now at thelancet.com. Thank you to Professor James and thank you for listening to this episode of In Conversation With. Remember, you can subscribe to In Conversation With The Lancet wherever you usually get your podcasts.